And so what I want to do, actually, Jeff, come on up. We just want to pray for Jeff and ask the Lord to bless him and use him, which I believe he will. I know he will. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for our brother, and I thank you for the grace at work in his life, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for how your word, that, uh, that seed that was planted, has produced fruit and continued to produce fruit. And thank you, Lord, uh, for your activity in him and through him. And I pray, Lord, you'd give him joy this morning as he speaks about you and your truth and that you'd use him, Lord, uh, to bring glory to your name, to serve your people. We are looking forward, to, Lord, to how you're going to work. You are the faithful one. And so bless our brother, we pray. Amen. We're continuing our series on First Peter. And this morning we're going to be looking at trials and faith. As we look at this this morning, I want us to be able to have a picture of what this is because examples sometimes seem to speak so much louder than just plain instruction. The picture I'm going to use this morning to follow us through is the picture of Mickey's uh, mother for you who uh, don't know her. She's, uh, um, she's eight, she was 88 years old. She's been a Christian for 81 years. Uh, three weeks ago, on a Sunday morning, we got a call that she was rushed to the uh, hospital. So we went to the hospital and we got there, and she had been in before, and she had fluid on her lungs, and we thought it was just the fluid would, uh, would be taken away, they'd be able to get it off, and we'd go home that afternoon. However, that wasn't the case at all, and we ended up spending the rest of the week at the hospital. Wednesday afternoon, they came in and they told us that she had just a matter of a few days to a few weeks to live. So Thursday, we brought her back to her house in Derry so she could be at home uh, with her mother. And then two weeks ago on Sunday, she passed away to be home with the Lord. She was 88 years old. She'd been a Christian for 81 of those years. And as we go through this today, this trials and this faith, I want you to see some of the trials that she went through. I want you to see the faith that she went through, and I want to see the result. I want you guys to see a faith that was refined by fire, a faith faith that was pure gold. The Tuesday before we got the word from the doctor that she was going to uh, probably only have a few days, we had been going through a different thing. We had been going through some stuff. We were with her. We were reading scripture, we were talking about it, we were praying with her. And one of the things that we're going through is John Piper has an article called uh, Don't Waste Your Cancer. And so we thought this was just another trial that she was going through. And we would take, he's got ten reasons not to waste your cancer. And so we we're going through them one by one, and we would talk about it and pray about it, about it afterwards. And she had fallen asleep, and I wrote this while she was sleeping. I am writing this while sitting in the hospital room with my mother-in-law. She is sleeping right now, but having some difficulty breathing, so it is not a completely restful sleep. Although perhaps no sleep in a hospital bed is truly restful. Hanny McKittrick is a woman who has been a strong Christian for 81 years now, and her faith is still being tested. It is still being refined like gold. She is still going through the trials that God has placed before her. You see, as a Christian, we will always have trials. 
Our faith will always be tested until we depart to be with the Lord. And often when we are closest to going home, we will be purified the most. The Holy Spirit will prepare us for our heavenly home, where our faith will be finally fully refined and we will be purged of all sin and suffering at last. At 88 years old, Hay was still going through trials and she was going through tests. Her faith was being refined like gold. How do we deal with trials? How do we deal with these things that come into our life? When things aren't going the way you think they should, when things seem to be out of control, when there seems to be no hope, how do you deal with trials? Do you complain? Do you isolate yourself from others? Do you lash out? Do you feel sorry for yourself? Do you become bitter? Do you cry? Do you throw your whole self into your work and ignore everything else? James chapter 1 says that we should consider it all joy when we meet any trial. And there are people that we've either heard about or we've seen or we know about who are able to do that. In the Old Testament, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar builds this great idol of himself, this great statue, and he commands everyone to kneel down and to worship it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't do it. And they're confronted by King Nebuchadnezzar himself. And he says to them, If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And they answer him, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fire furnace. But if not, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods and we will not worship the golden image that you have set up. They said, they counted it joy and they said, look, God will save us. He will save us from you. He will save us from this fire. He will save us from everything. But if he doesn't, if he chooses not to, we will not worship you. We will worship God and God alone. That's the kind of faith we want. When we go through trials, this is what we're looking for. This is our goal. This is the picture that we should have in our mind. But are we like that? Or when we see people like that, can we even relate to them? Can we say, I can't imagine that my faith will ever be like that. Unfortunately, God gave us the Apostle Peter, who wasn't like this in many ways. At least at one time he wasn't, because when we see him with Christ the day before, he's telling, he's telling Jesus that even if I have to die, I will stand with you. And what does he do? He denies God. He denies that he knows Jesus. He denies him again. He denies him three times. His actions fail. His courage fails. But his faith does not fail. His actions and his courage fail, but his faith does not fail. He's the guy that I want to teach me about trials. He's the guy who want me to teach, who I want to teach me on faith. So let's open to First Peter chapter one, verses six and verses seven, and we'll read that. It says, "In this you rejoice," meaning what we had just gone through the the message that Paul had preached last week. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our faith is tested. Our faith is refined like gold. It is more precious than gold. And it will result in praise and glory and honor. And it says here, if necessary, we will be tried. We will be tried hard. It will be a grievous trial that we go through. So let's take a look at trials. We're going to kind of work through this. The first thing it tells us that trials only last a little while. There are really two types of ways that these trials work out. Number one is there's the people who go through a trial and there's a clear start and there's a clear finish to it. And then things seem to be all right for a while and they think that they're all right. But then another one comes up and they're fine and another one comes up. Then there's other who's have, who has one consistent trial that seems to stretch on and stretch on, like in the case of cancer, where it's here. And there will be times when it's in remission, and there will be times of peace, but this same trial will continue to go through. One of the trials that... Uh, oh, one more thing before I get there. Um, it is here on earth that Jesus Christ did his work for us. It is here on work that he went through his trials. It is here on the earth that he died on the cross. It is here where we will have our trials. When we're to heaven, we will no longer have any trials. But here, for a little while, we will have trials. One of the trials that uh, Henny, um, Mickey's mom, had uh, when she was young, it was just herself and her father at home, and it was during the Depression. She was born in 1920. And uh, so when the Depression hit, her father was already considered old. He was in his 40s by that point. And which back then was considered old. And so all the jobs that were available were going to the young people. And so he was out of work for, I think, a, a number of years in the middle of the Depression. And she writes in her own words, During the Depression, my father and I stood in line to get one sandwich to share. Two people getting one sandwich. It was a blessing when the government would send a check to those in need for $21. When we got that check, we bought only staples, plus one treat, a half a coconut pie, my favorite. So as she went through these trials, these financial trials, when you're in the Depression and you don't have any idea where the food's going to come, when you're going to get a job, when it's going to end, these are the things. Later on, the trials that she had were health um, she had diabetes, she had glaucoma, she was legally blind, she had congestive heart failure, she had kidney failure. She had many, many trials. God is not primarily concerned about our health or about our happiness. That's not his primary concern. He's concerned about our faith. And if he needs to, he will remove those things from us for a time, in order to draw us back to himself, in order to give us something more precious than health, in order to give us something more precious than happiness, in order to give us a faith that is a faith of gold. This is the sovereignty of God. This is God in control. Our faith must be built up in the way that God has designed our faith to be built up. And this is one of the ways, through trials, that our faith is designed to be built up. 
If we don't understand this, that this is God's design force, that we go through trials, that we go through hardships, and that these are difficult, we will flounder during these times. We will end up saying, why God? Why me? What have I done? I'm a good person. I go to church. I do these things. I do everything I, I can, and yet this still happens to me. The reason this happens is to build our faith. It's to refine it. It's to make it like gold. It's to make it usable when we need it. Penny learned this lesson when she was six years old. Um, when she was six years old, um, actually when she was about six or seven years old, her mother got real sick. This was about in 1926. And she never knew what it was that her mother had. But her mother was hospitalized, and her mother was hospitalized for the rest of her life. From the time that she was six or seven, she only saw her mother one time, and that was when she was 12. Her dad thought it was best that he kept her away. He thought he was protecting his, his daughter. Or maybe it was the doctors, I'm not quite sure, but they thought it was best. So she saw her one time at the age of 12, and at that point, her mother didn't know who she was, and she didn't know who her mother was. But listen to what she writes and what she tells us when she was, she was young. She says, I had a friend up the street, and as kids do, we were bragging about whose Sunday school was better. So we decided to try each other. So she would come to mine, and I went to hers. And I decided that hers was better. So I started going to the Baptist church. My parents didn't mind because they weren't going anywhere. Uh, her dad was from Germany. Her mother was from uh, Finland. And uh, so they're both Lutheran, obviously. And, uh, but they came, the churches were different than they were in their home country. They never really settled in, so they didn't go. So they thought it was important that she went to Sunday school, so they thought this was great. She says, and recognizing the sovereignty of God, she says, this was very much the Lord's leading. It was there that I came to know the Lord. There were two ladies who loved me into the kingdom. They were so special. Listen to her struggle, though, before she got that. The fact that I didn't have a mother at home bothered me a great deal. And until then, until then, I thought that God had treated me badly. But these two ladies were just so special, and through them I came to know the Lord. And I grew up in this wonderful church, and really in a great many ways I can say that the church raised me. These were young married women. Penny's coming into the kingdom of God itself. Her very entrance into the kingdom of God was through trials. Trials are unavoidable. Trials are God's way of refining our faith. And here's a woman whose very entrance into it was marked by trials. The King James Version this passage calls it heaviness. The New International Version says had to suffer. The ESV says we have been grieved. Trials are grievous things. Trials are hard things. Trials are difficult things. Think about the widow in the Old Testament who Elijah went to her house. There's a drought in the land. There's a famine in the land. And God sends Elijah to this woman's house. It's a widow and her son. And he says, can you give me some bread? Can you give me some water to drink? And she says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in, prepare it for myself and my son, 
that we may eat it and we may die. Can you imagine being at that point? You're gathering sticks to make a meal, to be your last one, and your son is going to die? How, can, how does a mother feel when she cannot protect her own child, when she cannot provide her own child? God says Elijah to her. And Elijah tells her to do this and that God will give her flour that won't run out and oil that won't run out. And he does it. And she is there and they have food and they have oil. That was her first trial. Soon after, there's another trial that follows right on the heels of the first one. Her son gets sick. And her son dies now. What she had tried to protect from happening, what she saw coming through Elijah to protect him, doesn't happen. And he still dies. And she says, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. When trials come to us, do we do the same thing? Do we cry out, What do you have against me? Do we cry out to God, Why me? Some of these trials are so grievous they seem too much to bear. Elijah restores him to life. And after this trial, look at her faith then. She says, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of God in your mouth is true. It shows praise and glory and honor. Think about also, if you think of some of these stories that you know in the Bible, think about the woman who for 12 years had the disease. 12 years, the bleeding disease, which meant she was isolated from everybody. She couldn't be around everybody. 12 years she has it. It says she went to all the physicians, went to all the doctors, and she was worse than when she started. Think about Jairus, whose 12-year-old daughter lays sick and dies while he's talking to Jesus. The Bible is full of stories of people who are enduring hard trials. And we need to read these and see these. We can look at Christ himself in the Garden of Gethsemane to see how grievous his trial was. This is Jesus Christ alone. And he says to Peter, he says, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Can you imagine this? Jesus facing a trial that's so heavy, he says, I'm sorrowful to death. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been in the same place as this? It then says he falls to the ground. And in Luke it says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and a sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. For a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Annie had seven children. She had three boys and four girls. Her oldest daughter, Sherilyn, when she was 13 years old, got a bicycle for her birthday. Two weeks later, she's riding her bike, and she comes out of the woods and onto the road. And there's a car that's coming on the road, and the car cannot stop in time. And she loses her daughter. Sherilyn dies. So now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. This grieving and these trials are what made Henny what she was. And as we look later on at her last week, we will see 
the faith that was made pure, the faith that was refined like gold. We may not all have great trials. The passage says, if necessary. Some of us won't have great trials, but we will all have some trials. But God does call some to have many trials. God calls some to have heavy trials. God calls some to have grievous trials. Listen to Charles Spurgeon's take on this. He says, Yes, dear friends, the Lord often sends us greater trials than others. This one I don't think, we don't have an overhead for this. He says, Yes, dear Lord, the Lord often sends us greater trials than others because he means to qualify us for greater enjoyments. If you want to make a pool capable of holding more water, you dig it out, do you not? And many a man has been dug and enlarged by affliction. The enlargements of trial enables to hold more grace and to hold more glory. The more gracious a man suffers, the more he becomes capable of entering into fellowship with Christ in his sufferings and so into fellowship with Christ in his glory by and by. When he's talking about pools, I'm certain he's talking about ponds. If we want a deep pond, we need to dig deep. And there are some of us who will be ponds that God digs out through affliction that he may fill up with grace and with glory. There will be some of us who will be lakes. There will be some of us who will be seas. There will be some of us who will be oceans. The affliction will dig deep. And God will fill it with grace and glory. Young people, some of you, God may choose to have you suffer. When we're young, we don't think about it. We think only of health, because for the most part, that's all that we have. But God will glorify himself in you. God will glorify himself in many different ways. Some he glorifies through preaching. Some he glorifies through being on the mission field. Some he glorifies by showing them peace and contentment and happiness so that all those around him look at them and say, that's what I want to be like. But some of you, he will show his glory through trials and suffering. And we need to recognize that this is God's sovereignty and we need to reach out now. And we need to... Pray to God that he will give us the strength. And when he has dug that pond, that he will fill it with his grace and he will fill it with his glory. The passage says these trials are like the testing of fire. They are hard. One of the purposes of these trials is to refine or to prove our faith. Genuine faith comes through the fire. It comes through the furnace of affliction. If we hold on to our strength more than we hold on to God, if we rely on that, if we rely on our strength, God may take that away. If we rely on our wealth, if we rely on our possessions, He may take those away. If we rely on His peace and His comfort, He may take that away. He may take the fruit of the Holy Spirit away for a time being, if necessary. 
He's not concerned about our health or our happiness primarily. He's concerned about our faith. And He will do whatever it takes that our faith is built up. We have an overhead for this one. This is Charles Spurgeon. And if we can get that one up, let's look at what he says. Because what we're doing is, we're being refined by gold. And gold, when they burn it, the dross comes out. And all that's left is the gold afterwards. So he says, the trial of our faith is necessary to remove its dross. Faith may apparently lose, but it actually gains. It may seem to be diminished, but it is not truly diminished. All is there that was worth having. Why, a week ago, says one, I used to sing and to think that I had the full assurance of faith. And now I can scarcely tell whether I'm one of God's people or not. Now you know how much faith you really possess. You can now tell how much was solid and how much was sham. For had that which had failed you been real faith, it would not have been consumed by any trial through which it has passed. You have lost the froth from the top of the cup, but all that was really worth having is still there. It must be so, for as faith is not born of earthly things, neither can earthly things kill it, nor even take from it one true particle. All that isn't true faith will be burned off. All that will be left will be our faith in God. And our faith will be built up. It will be refined. It will be made pure. Charles Spurgeon also says, God who makes nothing in vain. This is talking about faith now. The faith that will be the result of this. He says, God who makes nothing in vain especially makes nothing in the spiritual kingdom in vain. And if He makes faith, it is with design that should be used to the utmost and exercised to the full. Expect trial because trial is the very element of faith. We want a faith for salvation. We need faith for salvation. But we also need faith for daily living. And we especially need faith when we come to trials. We want a faith that is strong enough to support us when the world comes crashing down around us. And it is then that we will realize that our faith is more precious than gold. One more quote here. This one is by J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle, in commenting on the calming of the sea, looks at the faith of his disciples and he says this, he says, we read that the Lord said to his disciples, when the storm had ceased and their fears had subsided, where is your faith? Well, might he ask that question, where was the profit of believing if they could not believe in a time of need? Where was the real value of faith unless they kept it in active exercise? Where was the benefit of trusting if they were to trust their master in sunshine only, but not in storms? The lesson now before us is one of deep practical importance. To have true saving faith is one thing. To have faith always ready for use is quite another. Many receive Christ as their Savior and deliberately commit their souls to Him for time and eternity, who yet often find their faith sadly failing when something unexpected happens and they are suddenly tried. These things ought not so to be. We are to pray that we may have a stock of faith ready for use at a moment's notice and may never be found unprepared. The highest style of Christian is the man who lives like Moses, seeing him who is invisible. That man will never be greatly shaken by any storm. He will see Jesus near him in the darkest hour, 
and the blue sky behind the blackest cloud. Where is your faith when you need it? What is the profit in believing? It is here when we see it the most. This is a Christmas letter that Henny sent out. And we can see her faith and the profit of her believing. She's got a, a, a Bible passage on the top that says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's from 2 Corinthians. And just one, one uh, paragraph from here. Listen to this. She says, Christmas is a joyous time, and it is also a time for reflecting on the bounty of God's gifts of grace and of blessing. As I think upon this past year, I am reminded that the tapestry of our lives must have some dark threads woven among the gold and the bright ones. In January, Bob and I celebrated our 57th wedding anniversary. And on May 16th, he went home to be with the Lord. We miss him, and we will miss him on Christmas morning, even while we realize that he is celebrating the best Christmas of all. This is the faith that I want to have. Her husband of 57 years passes away, and she says, I'm reminded that the tapestry of our lives must, be, must have some dark threads woven among the bright and the golden ones. Her husband of 57 years passes away. What verse does she put on the top of her Christmas letter? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. That's the kind of faith that I want. And that's refined through this fire. All the trials that she went through. And look at the faith that she has because of that. How much faith do we need on a calm, sunny day? But a small boat in the ocean in the middle of the night in a storm... We need great faith. I'm going to look at a couple of different situations here. Different questions that might be popping up as you listen to this and you reflect and you try to see where am I? Where is my faith? What are these things? What happens if we appear to fail in trials? We mainly talked about people who have succeeded, but what happens if we fail in trials? Once again, we think about Peter. We think about his denying Christ three times. His trial was that he could be facing death. Jesus Christ is going to be crucified. It's very possible that he'll take him if Peter stands up with him. But Jesus Christ, in his prayer prior to this, told Peter that I'm praying for you, that your faith will not fail you, even though you're going to deny me three times. So we know that his faith didn't fail him because Christ had prayed himself that his faith wouldn't fail him. Peter's actions failed and his courage failed. But do we really think that Peter thought any less of Christ, that he thought he wasn't the Savior because of his own cowardness or his own failing? No. His faith was just as strong as it was before. His faith did not fail him. So we may have these times when our actions fail us. We may have these times when our courage fails us. But stop and think. Just because we fail, do we really think that our faith is any less? Our actions might be less, but our faith is not any less than that. One of the proofs that we have of this is our remorse. It is our repentance. It is our desire to be forgiven afterwards. We sometimes are faced now that we're, once we fail in our actions or in our courage, we're faced with withdrawing from Christ or drawing to Christ. But the proof is that we feel something there. We feel that battle. And the battle 
is evidence of our faith. And we want to go to Christ, and we want to ask for repentance, and we want to ask for remorse. But you have to understand this. Your courage might fail. Your action might fail. What's the proof that your faith does it is the way that you feel about it. And that's the Holy Spirit that, that does that. What if we doubt? What if we doubt our faith? What if we, what if we doubt any of this? First of all, do you really expect to live a life free from doubting? We can't. Nobody can live a life that's free of doubting. We are fallen people. We have a sinful nature inside of us. We will doubt. We will doubt. Look at Gideon in the Bible. The perfect example of someone who's, who's a, a doubting person and yet, well, maybe the doubting Thomas, Thomas is probably a better, I guess, because <laughs> they named him doubting Thomas. Let's say he's number two. So Gideon is a, from the Old Testament, he's number one. So Gideon is a perfect example of someone who doubts. The angel of the Lord comes to him, and God is going to use Gideon to lead these people. But when the angel first comes to Gideon, and Gideon has his first encounter with this angel, listen to what he says. If the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? Where are all of his wonderful deeds? Do you see this? That's Gideon's mindset. This is the guy that God is going to use. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all of his wonderful deeds? So the story goes on and it comes to the fleece. This angel is telling God and Gideon that God is going to use him. And he has this down, and he wants this assurance. And he says, I'm going to put out a fleece out, and in the morning I want the fleece to be wet and the, dry to ground, and the ground to be dry, and then I'll know. And so it happens. And he still doubts. The next morning, that's not enough. He still doubts. He still has fears. He still doesn't believe it. So he asks that the opposite happens, that the fleece is dry, dry and the ground is wet. And so the angel does it. What does the Bible tell us about Gideon? Gideon who says, where is God when all this happened to us? What does it say when he says, where is wonderful deeds, when he doubts again and again and again, no matter what's presented him? Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, in the uh, chapter of, of faith, commends his faith. He's one of the few that are mentioned in the book of Hebrews as having, having a great faith. When you doubt, say to God, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. That's why these passages are in the Scriptures. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. When we have trials, when trials come up, how do we get through them? We need to read. We need to pray. We need to fall down at Christ's feet. And we need to spend time with others. Do not isolate yourself. We are a body. God has designed us to be a body. Even Job had his three friends when he went through it. We have the tendency to isolate for whatever reason, whether it's embarrassment, whether it's shame, whether we think our problems aren't big enough, whether we think the things that aren't, we're going through aren't big enough, or we think the opposite. Our things are too big. Our things are too great. Our things can't be helped. And so we isolate ourselves. Don't do this. We have care groups that are set up for a structured environment where we want to reach out to each other. 
And we want to build each other up. And we want to strengthen each other. We want to pray for each other. Sometimes we need more than that. That's a place to start. But sometimes we need more. And we need to reach out to each other. How can we prepare ourselves for trials? Again, read, read, read. Listen to sermons. Pray, pray, pray. Spend time with the brothers. Spend time with the sisters. Realize now that trials will come. Realize now that trials will come and prepare for them. Um, That article I talked about before, John Piper's Don't Waste Your Cancer, is an absolutely excellent article. Get it online. Just look up Google search John Piper, Don't Waste Your Cancer. It talks about this trial of cancer going through, and if we look at it where we don't think it's from God, where we don't think it's ordained, all these things, we waste cancer. It's an excellent place to start. Mickey's dad was a pastor. He was a pastor for 50 years and uh, continued to, in his ministry the whole time, to preach. And so I sat down and I did the math and I thought if they had a service, because back then they had, a, they had a morning and an evening service, right? They had a morning service and they had an evening service for 50 years. So I thought, because this is one of the ways that Henny prepared herself for these trials that she went through. And so I did the math. That's 10,400 sermons that she heard from her husband alone. 10,400. And that's only the 50 years that she, was, that she was married in his ministry. There's also 31 years that I didn't do the math for, whether it was one service or two service or whether they had a Wednesday service. If they sang three hymns per the service for those 50 years, that's 15,600 hymns that she sat through and listened and listened to. She loved hymns. She loved sermons. She loved talking about God. I asked her once, I said, when Dad passed away, what is the thing that you miss the most about him? And she said, talking about spiritual things. Just sitting down and talking about spiritual things. That was one of the things that she missed the most. There's many things that she missed about him, but that was one of the things that she said. She was prepared when her time of trial came. When her faith was going to be refined, when she was going to go through that furnace in order that she be better now than she was before, she was prepared, and she was ready for that. Music is so good. We have music over on the table that you can get Sovereign Grace, the songs that we live, uh, listen to and we love. Also, I would encourage you, Mickey and I have just found this in the last couple of years, just the joy of hymns. And Mickey's gotten all these CDs of hymns. Amy Grant's got two that are wonderful. Um, Fernando Ortega, or Tega, I don't know how you say that, has got one. Chris Rice has got one. These are excellent. We'll get in the car and we'll drive... These old hymns have such beautiful words. It's incredible. But it fills you up. And it gets you ready for these times of trial. How do we treat others who are going through trials? When we see other people who are discouraged, who are down, who are clearly in a trial and in a heavy time and they are suffering, what do we do? We need to look to the Scripture and see how Christ treated Mary and Martha, and to see how Christ treated Peter. First of all, when it comes to Mary and Martha, her brother, their brother dies. Jesus Christ comes and their brother is dead. And they are mourning, and they are weeping, and they are saying, if only you had been here. And what does Christ do? Christ cries. It says, Jesus wept. 
Jesus didn't weep because her brother Lazarus died. He was about to raise him from the dead. There was no necessary reason for him to weep. But he had compassion. He saw the trial that Mary and Martha were going through, and he wept. He wept because of what they were going through. We need to have compassion when we see people going through these trials. As we look to that uh, section in, in uh, Luke, when Jesus is talking to Peter, take some time to look at the things that Christ did. First of all, he spoke to him. Often we avoid speaking to those who are going through hard times. People who appear to be abandoning their faith, people who appear to be struggling, sometimes we avoid them because it's uncomfortable. And we don't know what to say, so we avoid them. Jesus Christ went straight and he spoke to him. He spoke to him in love and truth. He did tell him the truth. You will do this. But he spoke to him in love as well. He prayed for him. He gave him hope. When you have turned again, he gave him hope. He accepted him. He accepted Peter when Peter was about to do what we would probably consider the worst thing that a Christian could do, and that was to deny Christ. It says, Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And yet Christ accepted him. If we some see one of our brothers and sisters going through a trial, and their faith itself seems to be failing, and they are doing the exact same thing that the Apostle Peter does, Will we accept them? Will we speak to them? Will we love them? Will they encourage them? Will we do these things? Pray for yourself right now that you will be able to do that when you see someone who's in trial. We, want, we must do these things, and we want to be known as the people who does this, the people who reach out, who encourage, who love, who accept, who speak truth, who speak love, and who help and encourage. But we need to accept them as well. Our faith will result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is it worth it to endure all these trials, these things which seem so difficult? Is it worth going through these things? Jesus Christ thought so. It says, For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame, and He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him to be seated in heaven next to God himself made all the trials worth it. It says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Listen to these two promises. First from James. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Listen to this promise. This is Paul speaking. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Henny McKittrick thought it was worth it. All the trials that she went through, she thought it was worth it. That last week in the hospital, 
was one of the most amazing things that I have seen. And when we were singing this song, better is one day in New York court than a thousand elsewhere. I thought one week in that hospital with a woman whose faith is like gold is so refined to see her in her last week, there was no place else that I wanted to have been. I was able to spend that whole last week with her. Mickey and the kids and her family was able to. Her family flew in from all over. We would lay in the bed, or she would lay on the bed, and we would read. We'd read from the Bible. We'd read from books. We'd take the hymnals out and read those responsive readings in the back. The one as a kid you thought were so dull and, and valueless. There is gold in there like you would not believe. If you are ever in that situation, you don't know what to read, you don't know what to talk about, but you want to encourage someone in some way, get an old hymnal. Read the back. That stuff is just gold. We would talk about this we, as soon as we were done. We'd read it and we would talk about it. And then we'd pray. And she would just sit there and she would smile. And she would think about these promises which were so close now, which were almost hers. These promises of going to heaven. These promises of being purified. These promises of being sin-free with a new body were so close. She would fall asleep smiling. She would just doze off smiling. Elizabeth's mother passed away this last week as well. And she passed away while her husband was reading the scripture to her. We want to be like this. This is what we want to be. She passed away on Sunday. Saturday we had communion with her. Almost her whole family was there. The pastor came in, served her communion. It was the last thing she ate. It was the last thing she drank. When the pastor was giving her communion, he said, Henny, is there one promise that you are leaning on? And she said, yes, to see him face to face. Can you imagine that? She did not talk about her suffering. She did not talk about her pain. She did not talk about anything but what she was going to see. What was the promise to see him face to face? Every one of her children that came in, she said, first of all, how much she loved them, how much she appreciated them, and then she prayed for them. And she gave them a blessing, just like Jacob did to his children in the Old Testament. And if the kids weren't there in person, they called up on the phone. She was praying for them over the phone, and she was giving them blessings. This is the faith that we want. This is a faith that has gone through trials and it has been purified. Last summer at the family reunion, she was talking about all the different places that she moved. And one of the grandkids said, where do you want to move to next? She said, to glory. Her words, I am reminded that the tapestry of our lives must have some dark threads woven among the gold and the bright ones. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. If the band can come up, I want to read this one psalm. Part of this one psalm. Psalm 66, verses 8 through 12, ending on 16. We do have an overhead of this one. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard who has kept our soul among the living, and he has not let our feet slip. 
For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet, yet, you have brought us out to a place of abundance. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what He has done for my soul. These trials that we go through, these crushing trials that we go through will produce a faith that is as pure as gold. Father God, we just thank You. We thank You, Father, that You do not abandon us. And according to Your Word, You not only not abandon us during times of difficulty, during times of trials, but, O Lord, You say that You bring us there. You say that You bring us there so that our faith might be like gold. You say that You bring us there so that it might result in praise and glory and honor at the day of revelation of Jesus Christ. So Lord, as I pray this morning for all of us who are there, we realize that some will go through grievous, heavy trials. Their lakes will be dug deep by Your Spirit. And Lord, I pray that as they go through, that You will give them comfort that You will give them joy, that You will give them peace, O Lord. Fill their ponds, fill their lakes, fill their seas and their oceans with Your love, with Your grace, with Your glory, O Lord. We Help us to be a people who looks to see, who looks to find, who seeks out those who are struggling, those who are downcast, those who are weary, those who don't want to go on, those who appear to be losing their faith, and let us build them up, Lord. Let us encourage them. Let us be a body that heals, O Lord, heals each other. Let us be one that stands side by side, arm by arm, with those who are going through trials, Lord, that their faith might be lifted up. And Lord, as you told Peter, that when he had gone through the other side to encourage the brothers, Lord, those who are going through trials... Help them to encourage each other. We didn't even talk about that when it came to how much we can learn and how much uh, Henny encouraged others. But Lord, it was great. And we pray that we will be people like that too. Oh Lord, we pray these in Your name. Amen. You all can stand.
with my soul. It is well. Verse 4, one more time. And Lord, haste the day. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be signed. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. for serving us very well and I'd actually uh, would like if you and Mickey could as we close just stand over here because uh, I believe in many ways your life demonstrates the truth um, behind this section of scripture and I think there are some here who are in trials you might be in economic trials you might be in health trials you might be in relational trials or spiritual trials and I believe the Lord wants to strengthen you Jeff talked about Peter. He said, when you turn, Peter, strengthen your brothers. And I believe the Lord would want to use Jeff and Mickey to strengthen some of you. So as we close, after you're dismissed, I just want to encourage you, if if you're in that place and you believe the Lord wants to meet you uh, and strengthen you even today, I'd encourage you to come up and pray with Jeff and Mickey. Lord, we just thank you that, Lord, through these trials, there is a faith of gold that you're forming. And we just thank you, Lord, that that faith will remain because it comes from you. We just thank you for the truth we received this morning and, Lord, how you are active in us, individually and corporately, to strengthen us and to lead us on to this faith of gold. And so we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and strengthen you and meet you as he dwells in you and works through you, even through trials. The Lord bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great week.